0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Digital Switch, January 2020. How are you, Sonia?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Doing very well. Today, I cannot believe that it's
1: <laughs> one month into 2020. <laughs> That's
0: what I was just going to say. The 27th it is. Um, it's, uh, I guess it's a good sign that it's been going by really quickly, right? That means we've been really busy. But um, I think this is going to be a fantastic year. Um, for a variety of reasons but I think one of the things I'm really excited about is that we're, we're working on some great new positioning for our product and I think this is again one of those pivotal years for us where we get to uh, really uh, focus in on the growth phase of our company and um, uh, with all that said tell us why this is such a great episode
1: well, we have someone very, very exciting with us today. Um, Piernova's Director of Business Development in London. His name's Harpal Gill. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you, uh, Sonia. Thank you, Naveed. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, actually, just talking on your 2020, I think 2020 is very apt. It says perfect vision. So I think this is an opportunity for us to really take that vision and give, give it some clarity. I think this year, like you said, it's going to be a fantastic year for us, and uh, I'm really excited.
1: I am super excited, too. And to kick off this episode, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and our listeners who may not be familiar with you?
2: Sure. Uh, well, I've worked in investment banking for around 30 years now. Uh, I've had the privilege of working in some fantastic organizations. But more importantly, I think I've had the opportunity to work in lots of different areas across the bank. Uh, I started my career actually in product control. Um, it was a great time back at, uh, back at Salomon, um, back in the day, so to speak. And then I moved on to fixed income derivative middle office. Um, then I moved to cash equity operations. And more recently, I was business development head for prime brokerage um, at a European investment bank. Um, and more recently, actually, I was at, uh, at WhipRo. Uh, I was working as a client partner and actually most of the banks that I worked for became my clients. So it was a nice little turnaround. But I think that sort of diversity of function that I worked in actually hopefully gives me a good insight into some of the problems that the banks have. And also the fact that it is effectively a bank with lots of different departments and not many people get the opportunity to work across different parts of the bank to understand the end-to-end flow. And I think, um, actually, I was listening to Erica's podcast in that we're talking about end-to-end digitization. Uh, it's a great term to have, but how many people have actually worked across end-to-end that can give it that perspective? And I think it requires some of those insights, and hopefully I can bring some of those uh, to our conversation and also to the firms.
0: No doubt, Harpal. Uh, thank you for that great introduction. I think um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think 2020 is... Uh, you know, a, a great metaphor for where we're headed um, in terms of uh, everything that uh, we're excited about for this year. But I think, you know, taking your perfect vision to the next level, um, there's something to be said, and 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 I think we've we've covered this at length now on the show. There's something to be said about uh, the degree of maybe process. Optimization that's required in financial institutions today, which could Really, be the driving force for a lot of new opportunities, and of course, being able to cut costs. So let's start from there, um, Harpal. To so we talk a lot about digital transformation, this end-to-end digitalization. We throw these terms around, but let's start with the basics. Um, you're right. I think unless somebody actually knows day to day what that what that is like and what the sort of the end result is, it's very difficult to put these in. Um, sort of, uh, you know, in a visceral way, right? For someone to actually understand what it takes to make these changes and what are the real benefits you can get out of this? So tell me a little bit about how you've viewed this challenge um, un- almost unique to the financial institutions.
2: Sure. I think one of the things I'd like to say uh, is that, you know, investment banking re- really hasn't changed. Yes, there's been new products. Yes, there's been new regulation but if you look at the fundamental business principles around trading, settlement, all of the functions, they really haven't changed. So what's really changed is the fact that you know, we've grown in volumes. The scale of business that we're doing actually today is just incredible because we've broken down uh, some of the activities. If you look at trading that used to be done in lots of million size, they've done probably lots of thousands now. So the scale of volume that's being done is actually one of the reasons why. Secondly is that um, um, we've actually deployed different operating models, right? And I think we continue, and we've evolved those operating models, but they're always a lag, right? They're never actually looking to see how you should be in the future and try to prepare for what's coming. It's always a reactionary thing. So if you look at, you know, you know, if you look at almost business 101, right, it tells you that you should leverage economies of scale, right? And that's right. So when businesses are growing, what you want to do is make sure that you can optimize your costs right? And that's great when revenues are growing, right? It's easy. However, when revenues actually reverse a little bit, right, those economies of scale mean that you don't have those people who understand the business end-to-end and actually can start linking up some of those processes. So they try to do business optimization at that point of process optimization. However, it becomes a project because you don't really have the people who understand what it takes. So they have to go back. It creates a multi-year project and suddenly things slow down, and it becomes a little bit more difficult. So the challenges are twofold. One is that we're actually always catching up to where we need to be rather than trying to understand what the operating model should be and try to position that for future business. Um, secondly is that, yes, volumes will continue to grow. And I think e- even in an environment where you can get lots of efficiencies, the scale of volumes that we're doing it means that even though you might have a small percentage of exceptions, those exceptions still run into hundreds of thousands. So, Unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. However, there's a great saying that um, you'll hear probably from other colleagues as well, is that operations, or if you look at most of the back offices, they wouldn't exist. If everything worked as it should, if data was what it should be, and the process and the technology was was what it should be, you would need operations. So in essence, they exist because over time, those processes have become less and less efficient, right? And we've had to add more and more people. People need to get up the curve. They don't have the level of experience. So we're always continually chasing that operating model that's going to work optimally. Um, and that's probably where we will continue to be given, I guess, where financial services are as an industry um, in the in the current economic climate.
0: So I think that's really great because, uh, you know, what we're really saying is that instead of always being – sort of in a position of reactivity to a challenge in this case say process optimization or your d- just a volume of data right it's great to sort of think prophylactically almost to say that what could we do to strategically position ourselves to not only take better advantage of all the data at hand but also be able to sort of resolve some of these problems ahead i think uh, i shared this number with the audience a couple of episodes ago but Based on one piece of data we were able to find, uh, these exceptions that you referred to can cost, uh, you know, 2% exception rate can translate to, to roughly two, I think it was $2 billion in, in in cost. So it's not a small amount. And like anything else in life, when things are going great, excellent, right? It's when things are not going great that you need to um, be at your best, obviously, to solve problems. So I, I think I, I really appreciate you positioning this in in terms of do you want to always be, you know, look, we're all busy, right? Everybody has priorities. You have other things to go after. But how do you best position yourself for a strategic advantage um, today that not only allows you to have a better sort of position or a better um, response rather to the problems that may come up but at the same time allows you to actually see what's going on and be able to sort of take what you have to the next level you know we talk about big data as being i think most people associate that that associate that with google and facebook and so on and so forth but you're right big data exists everywhere and it's uh, particularly in the financial industry is that fair Uh, Absolutely, it does. Uh, I think what we have to do is reverse or at least attempt to reverse
2: some of the things that have happened in the last 20, 30 years. So when we talk about, um, you know, the economies of scale, what that really meant was that a business process or a workflow that maybe was done in two or three steps is now done in 20 or 30 steps, right? So whilst the technology may not have existed at that point, right? There will there are technologies that allow you to at least start that journey, and that's what they call end-to-end digitization. However, end-to-end digitization I still think will take time, right? Because you still need to have the right people can, that can drive that. And unfortunately, time is one of the key things that people don't have. They don't want, or no, none of the um, none of the really banks really want multi-year projects. So you have to find a mechanism that allows you to end-to-end digitization with a stepped approach. Right, That really takes you forward without having this multi-year approach or at least that multi-year cost approach that people tend to shy away from. That's where I think the, the ability to link right, or have a tool that allows you to get visibility first right, before you start that program of end-to-end digitization. You need to know, what am I actually digitizing? So once you can start to get that end-to-end visibility, you can say, actually, I now can put a program together that allows me to understand what that workflow looks like. And what's the best way of addressing that? So underneath that, you will still have those, those multi-step processes. But you may not need to kind of do everything in terms of trying to digitize. You might say, you know what, I can do it in segments. This piece makes more sense. Maybe I can reduce it to a fewer steps. And then maybe over time, right, you can link more and more. So the idea is that once you have that visibility and that transparency into the end-to-end flow, then I think you can start your program. And I think that's what's lacking today. Is that people aren't taking that approach because everybody wants, everybody we live, live in a now society almost in every aspect, even through social plus business. Everybody wants a quick fix. And so people typically respond by giving somebody a quick fix, right? Because it's what they want. We have to, somebody has to step back and take a broader approach and say, you know what, let's start that journey. This is how we're going to do it and explain it. And I think that's, if you can start that journey, I think you're on the way to success.
1: So getting to the meat of this episode, we're really focusing on this 80-20 rule. Um, So when I think of 80-20, I think of what I've heard the most. 20% of sales reps generate 80% of sales. 20% of customers generate 80% of sales. There's those kind of ideas that are already out there about this rule. So I want to hear what does the 80-20 rule mean to you, and how can we apply this to operational fis- efficiency in the financial uh, industry right now?
2: That's great. Actually, you take it some of uh, my commentary away, <laughs> but let me give it some, a okay. some little, little bit more meaning. So, the 80-20 rule, I thought it'd be good to actually understand what, is it, what does it mean. It's actually called the Pareto Principle, um, and his founding father, Vilfredo Pareto, back in 1895, he was an economist in Italy. He he established that 80% of the wealth was generated by 20% of the population. So from that, really, what's happened is that that principle has been taken and applied across broadly across multiple businesses, not just financial services. You can take almost any other business line, and it probably has some relevance somewhere along the line. It's actually not a strategy. So I think people seem to think that it might be a strategy. I don't believe it is. It's actually an outcome. So people have a strategy, but what they do is they end up falling into it when people look back and say, you know what? It's like, you know, nobody starts off with a view saying, I'm going to generate 80% of my commissions uh, right from 20% of the population. It's only when they look back and say, well, that's interesting. 80% of my commissions are from 20%. But however, what that allows you to do is actually start, once you understand what it is, right? You can say, oh, well, actually, that 80-20% rule seems to apply here. You can now make better decisions. Okay, now, is that still what I want to pursue? Maybe it's a, it's an appropriate strategy, right? That you want to be able to have that tail that allows you to grow your business at some point, right? So the idea is that it's an outcome rather than a strategy. A great example that I'd, maybe I'd like to give you guys, and this is how it's probably manifested itself in investment banking, is that if you take a client, right, everybody everybody brings on a client. The client has a particular um, a profile that allows them to trade in certain markets. Right? They will set that client up to trade in those particular markets, which is the right thing to do. Right? However, at some point in time, maybe a couple of years later, the client says, "You know what? I want to trade in some other markets." Right? So now, what you've happened? What's happened is that when the client first comes on board, they go through what's called a new business process, and there's a very good discipline around that. There's people that have checks and balances. They say, "Okay, you have to, you know, do all these." The documentation has to be there. You have to go through approval processes. But once the client's on board, those same rules don't apply. The client then simply goes to the relationship manager and says, hey, you know what, I want to trade in these markets. And, of course, the relationship manager says, okay, great, new business, more money for me, let's go ahead. That information flow is now fragmented. It doesn't necessarily flow seamlessly to the rest of the organization, right? So what will happen is that the the client will trade, the client trades in markets that he's not set up for, those will generate exceptions. Those exceptions get handled, right? Now, those because those exceptions are, are, are caused by a particular market, somebody's looking at that market will say, you know what? I can fix these. I'll fix them today. Maybe they're one-offs, right? They don't know what's caused it because they're actually working on a transaction level. So they'll fix it. It's only when somebody looks at it over a period of time and says, hang on a second. This guy never used to trade in this market. He's now trading in this market. What's the cause for that? It's only when you look at it at that level that you can understand actually something's changed. Again, so what, what has happened over time is that if you think of it, that's one client. There'll be multiple clients that have that same approach, right? Because that's the policy that they have. So you created right the, the data quality that exists within the bank actually starts off good, but it deteriorates over time. Right, And that's where I think if you look at it, it's probably true to say that 80% of your data is good, 20% isn't so great. And when you have 80% of the data being bad and the process is similarly 80-20 not being so great, what you have is a recipe for lots of exceptions. And hence, you have these thousands of people working in operations across banks that are trying to pretty much handhold on a day-to-day basis the operations of the bank. So it, it's, it's an outcome, like I said, rather than a strategy. But people are trying to address it. Um, and again, I think uh, listening to Erica's podcast, the first thing is to make sure you need to get visibility, right? Uh, you need a tool that allows you to see what's what's happening in my end-to-end flow, what's causing these exceptions before you can make any decisions. And I think the tool that allows you to first of all get visibility, then be able to say, okay, is it transactional, right? Is there something that's maybe a, a little bit more – Repetition that maybe requires a continuous improvement type approach or is it more capex type? Those kind of decisions can only be made once you understand, right, and you have visibility into the entire workflow. And I think that's what's required today. And the banks have the problem. Uh, They're looking for solutions. And I think um, PierNova and the Cuneiform platform, I think, can facilitate that.
0: So are you saying that, um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I, of course, we've all sort of heard the 80-20 rule. To me, um, you're absolutely right. It's not a strategy. It's more like the way sort of things fall into place, right? And, uh, you know, to be honest, I think probably some of it is, is affirmation bias where you kind of try to fit everything into what you already believe in or maybe even it's selection because you only look for things that have the 80-20 rule. That's kind of besides the point. What you're, what I'm really hearing from you is that there are inefficiencies, right? And yes, maybe the amount of effort needed to solve some of the bigger inefficiencies, in bigger pieces of these inefficiencies, are not well known, or maybe to some extent, some might be greater than others, and so on and so forth. But unless you you have this sort of visibility into a greater extent of a particular workflow or something like that you won't be able to really address uh some of these deeper challenges right
2: yeah it's it's, i think it's twofold so one is that if you look at um uh technology technology continues to evolve right but the process of being segmented so what you end up with is a tool for a particular part of the workflow and you created lots of different tools the tools then connect to each other right And again, if we look at the economies of scale that I was talking about, is that suddenly you'll have somebody who's very proficient in one segment or one tool. However, that's all they can do. They don't know the impact of that, right, on downstream or or upstream, right, necessarily. So they're fixing things, right, that may need to get fixed again because what they've done actually has a different impact further downstream. So somebody else is doing, almost repeating a fix, but a different type of fix because it's created a problem. So... It, that visibility as I said that ability to understand that end to end workflow just isn't there necessarily because people have had a different approach to solving it. Or right silos now, as well, right? The silos, absolutely. Yeah, And I think that's one of the problems. So how do you reverse that? Um, I said, I think I don't think people have either the budgets um, or the patience to deploy this multi-year project. So they need to take a, a piecemeal approach and and as I said, first step is understand your data, right? Mm-hmm. The data is the key. Understand your workflow and the data that's coming through. Then you can figure out how to address it. And the good thing is that you don't need to address it holistically. You can address it in a piecemeal fashion because you the the tools are there today to allow you to do that.
0: So, So just so that the audience understands what we're really talking about in, in, in practical terms, imagine that there is a transaction that flows front, middle and back office. Right. But something in, say, let's say that's the flow, right? So it goes front, middle, back for, you know, simplicity purposes. And so let's say something is not working in the front office and therefore you have a separate team that's going to investigate what's happened. But that issue that has sort of come up in the front office has now cascaded. Issues that are now going to come up in the middle and the back, right? And therefore, because everybody's operating in silos, you're going to have multiple teams investigating the same exact problem upstream, right? Correct. And and therefore, not only is that extremely inefficient in terms of trying to solve that problem, but also you are really not getting to the root of it. Let's say it ends up being again, just for simplicity. The LEI, the legal entity identifier is incorrect in a transaction or something along those lines. Well, if the first person, say, in the front office in this example, flow, was able to fix that, and then that was in a way visible to the rest of the folks involved in that workflow, well, guess what? There's no need for additional investigations further down the line. You've addressed the problem and therefore everything else that was sort of – you know uh breaking or 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 um sort of being in indicated as as part of this exception is now resolved right not only ha- has this sort of this this front to back visibility that we always talk about allowed someone to, fundamentally address an issue, but also not only is that faster, more efficient, um, and and again, eliminates duplicate investigations, but also think about the fact that if I was able to spot something in this category of exceptions early on and say, ah, this particular legal in- entity identifier or this particular number or or, or one piece of this transaction that's going to constantly be a problem, I just solved it, and therefore this is not the same thing um the, the same thing is not going to happen again next week next month you know whatever uh, that's pretty much what we're talking about right
2: absolutely i think it's like you said the silos that have been created right and now you know in in terms of growing revenues people can overlook those silos right because you're making money the banks are uh, profitable right everybody's doing well the exceptions are being managed you got the workforce so when you look at the flip side two things happen revenues go down it's in, a, it's in a typically a recessionary or a negative environment. What do banks do? They cut costs. They cut people. So you, you've got less people addressing the same issues, right, under a different environment. So that's the challenge that you have is that in growing revenue, it's, it's a great environment to be in, right? But in a, in a recessionary or negative revenues or re- reducing revenues, it's very different because you don't have the same people. The, your knowledge base is deteriorating or diluting at best. Right? And they don't have, they don't have the capacity one or the knowledge necessary to address all of these. So we have to somehow find a balance that we're able to address address these issues, particularly when we're growing revenues, right. If you can create that positive environment and the right infrastructure and operating model when you're growing revenues, it'll position you better when the, you know, when it comes to reducing revenue because we know that's going to come. You don't know when but you need to be prepared for it. Unfortunately, we've always reacted to it. And the reaction is typically to cut costs rather than to say, you know what, I've got the toolkit to manage the risk and and the environment that I'm operating in.
1: So you mentioned Pier Nova's Cuneiform platform earlier. I just want to circle back back on that. How can an operational intelligence platform like ours flip and even transform the 80-20 rule for financial institutions?
2: Well, what you want to do is there's, I don't believe any bank truly measures the data quality, right? They manage it in their own, again, silos. So somebody who's, like you said, in LEI as an example, is probably looking at their performance. But they fail to understand that impact uh, only means something, right, if it's connected to the rest of the workflow. So people working in their own little silos is great. Somebody can be operating near 100%, but if somebody else is actually at 50% uh, and not improving, then the whole process breaks down. So the idea is that you really want to be able to measure data quality, right? I don't think anybody does that today, right, holistically. I think our platform will be the first step in people to truly to measure data quality. And once you measure data quality, if you look at it simplistically, is that if you can measure that quality and you can show that it's going up, de facto, right, the number of exceptions should go down, right, because the quality of data and your process around that has improved. And if you can demonstrate that, then your exceptions will go down. Then, again, you, you can manage your costs better. So that, to me, is really the first step. So our platform, what it does over and above what I've seen the other platforms do is that it's an it truly is an end-to-end, right? We're not looking to replace another tool that they sit somewhere in a little silo. We're saying, actually, it only means something if you can look at it holistically. So our tool allows somebody to visualize that workflow end-to-end, Right? And once you have that, you surely can make better decisions. I think that's that's the expectation is that once you understand end-to-end workflow, you can make better decisions, both at the front end, right, because don't forget, now when we talk end-to-end, maybe another term to use is front-to-back, right, the front of the process and the end of the process, That and that way, you know, that's the two ends, that's the only two ends you can have, front and back. If you can see the front-to-back flow, right, now suddenly, that means something both from a risk perspective because you can see all the way down, right? And the guy at the back end can see, okay, well, I'm at the back end. Have I, I can see where the problems are being caused. I can now address those by talking to the front office, the middle office, or any other department that's causing those problems because I know where they're emanating from. So you get the dual benefit, right? The front office can drive revenues, right, and improve client experience. The back end can become much more productive and efficient and make sure that they – when they're deploying um, uh, investment dollars, particularly for capex, they're they're put into the right silo rather than just anywhere just to create a quick fix.
0: Harpal, I think what's uh, what's really interesting is that um, you know obviously you are an expert um, in all of this, but you pr- you know primarily operate out of the UK. Um, And yet, because of the scale of financial institutions that we're talking about that span across the globe, these types of challenges exist in all geographical locations, exist in all sort of um, across different, uh, you know, geopolitical boundaries and so on and so forth. So um, this is not unique to... uh, you know, one area or one region or one financial institution, this is a pretty common, well-understood challenge that uh, I think a lot of folks have to grapple with. Um, But uh, Harpal, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, We'll definitely have you on the show again to tell us a a little bit more about all of these things. But just to recap, I think it's... um, it's really really important for uh, for anyone who's listening to this show to understand that what we're really trying to accomplish here is is an ability to first gain insight into the data that already exists and therefore immediately, um, being able to sort of perform better to basically just learning from those insights, taking actions on them and performing better. And then in the long run, so if you sort of break down the benefits of our platform, the short term, sure, you'll be able to gain insights and take some actions immediately that allows you to perform, uh, better or allows you to deliver across, um, you know, your, your, your deliverables, so to speak to, your uh, customers, perhaps increase satisfaction, all of those great things. But what's really great is that you're also strategically positioning yourself to identify more and more possibilities of this digital transformation that we're talking about and being able to sort of quickly get to that. But um, we'll get to these a little bit more. But Harpal, again, thank you so much for your time. Before we go,
2: please. I'd like to maybe just leave you one parting comment. Sure. I've heard this actually over a couple of um, other podcasts. And in fact, I think there's a session that you guys hosted. Um, is that they're saying data is the new oil, right? And I think I've heard that a lot. Maybe just a new, little nuance to that, right? Good data is the new oil. <laughs> Bad data is actually even worse, <laughs> right? It's not so, even crude. <laughs> correct. So it's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Yes. However... The great thing about our cuneiform platform is that you have to start somewhere. So I'm happy to take the bad data, knowing that actually that's the trough now. I can only make it better. Right. So that's what we want to do is we want to start somewhere. We'll take the data as it is and we will improve it. So we will create that, you know, data that becomes the new oil. Right. But starting, you have to start somewhere. And I think that that's what we do. We allow people to make, start that journey. Uh, and allow them to move forward.
0: That's a fantastic point, Harpal, and we've said this many, many times in the past, and and thank you for reiterating it, that you don't have to have clean data to get the best out of our platform. You can start today, and there is a virtuous cycle, if you will, of data essentially improving um, things over and over, right? And not only improving itself, but also improving operations and everything else that depends on it, but you don't necessarily have to start with the best of data in order to to sort of reap the benefits of this front-to-back visibility that we're talking about. You just need data to start. That's right.
1: Amen to that. (laughs) So thank you, Harpal. Thank you so much for being here. One really quick thing I want to announce is that Piernova Nova will be at the CDAO event in New York next week. Um, we're going to have a booth. We'll be booth number 15. And our CEO, Gangesh, is going to be hosting a keynote in the morning. And then Erica, who was on our podcast last week, will be hosting and moderating a roundtable in the afternoon. So if you're in New York or you're going to the event, please come see us at the booth or visit one of the roundtables or keynotes that we're going to be at. So we are very excited. Excited.
0: And and for more information on this, we do have a brand new section on our site called Resources, and please visit that. Go under Events, and you'll see all of the details of the CDAO event next week.
1: So thank you, everyone, for listening to Digital Switch. You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming service or on digitalswitch.show. Stay up to date on all of our podcast episodes, blog posts, and all thing Pure on our resources page at purenova.com or at Pure Inc. on Twitter. So have a great week, everyone.